Jesus was tempted, but he never sinned. Temptation is not sin. Temptation is when we become aware of a choice. We're presented with the possibility of thinking, saying, or doing something that is wrong, something sinful. But at the same time, we're also presented with the possibility of not thinking, saying, or doing that particular thing. And you might say, well, when it comes to saying and doing things, that kind of makes sense because we can choose not to say or do something, but thoughts are different. Surely if a thought has entered your head, it's already there, you've sinned. But even with thoughts, we have a choice. When a thought pops into our mind, we can own it, we can adopt it, we can dwell on it, or we can say, no, that's not wholesome, it's not good. I reject that thought. Temptation is always a choice between good and evil. Uh, Jesus is the only person who ever resisted every temptation. The book of Genesis tells us that Adam and Eve succumbed to temptation. They tried to grasp autonomy and define good and evil for themselves. They thought they could do without God. And this led to universal rebellion against God, which we see throughout the Old Testament in the story of Israel. Well, in today's passage, we see a reversal of Adam's failings, a reversal of Israel's failings, and an expose of the devil's tactics and how to fight against them. So it's important that we uh, look back, go back to Luke chapter 3, because there we read about Jesus being baptised. Jesus was baptised by John. The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in the form of a dove. And God spoke in an audible voice saying, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And then Luke gives Jesus's genealogy, tracing his ancestry all the way back to Adam. Adam and Eve, who are representative of all human beings, were supposed to reflect God's character, to reflect his goodness and glory out into the world. But they rebelled against God and so they failed in that task. It was through Adam that sin and death entered into God's good creation. So God determined to reverse this curse through the nation of Israel, but Israel wasn't up to the task either, and that is why we need Jesus. Jesus reverses the failures of Israel, indeed the failures of the whole human race. And what we see with Jesus in the wilderness is that Jesus succeeded where Adam and Israel failed. Adam refused to do things God's way. Israel refused to do things God's way. They were tempted and led astray. Jesus was tempted, but he didn't go astray. And so he perfectly fulfilled God's plan. But let's just look at the parallels between Jesus and Israel, because in so doing, we'll see that Jesus in the wilderness and the the situation there is clearly a reversal of Israel's failures. Jesus is God's son. But in Exodus, God refers to the nation Israel as his son in Genesis 4, 22. It says, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. So we have sonship. That's the first parallel. Next, Israel passed through the waters of the Red Sea and immediately entered the wilderness. Jesus uh, passed through the waters of baptism and went straight out into the desert, into the wilderness. Israel were wandering around the Sinai desert in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. And those 40 days clearly represent the 40 years that uh, Israel were in the wilderness. Israel complained to God that they were starving. 
Jesus refused to turn bread into stone. Uh, sorry, to, to turn stone into bread. Israel flirted disastrously with idolatry. Jesus refused to bow the knee to Satan. Uh, Israel continually put God to the test. Jesus refused to do so. Each time Jesus is tempted, he quotes scripture and he draws from a passage from Deuteronomy, which highlights Israel's failure in the desert. The message is clear. Jesus is going to succeed where Israel failed, where Adam failed, where we fail. Jesus is going to resist temptation and live in perfect obedience to his father. So as we look at this passage, there are three things that we need to bear in mind. Uh, this passage relates to Adam and the way that sin and death entered into creation. It relates to uh, Israel and the failure of God's people in the wilderness. And it really relates to us and our struggles with temptation every day. And we're going to uh, look at those things as we move through. Our passage begins with this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. I often say that we want to be a spirit-filled and spirit-led church. Well, this is where it comes from. Jesus was filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Notice it was the Holy Spirit who led Jesus into the wilderness. If you find yourself in one of life's wildernesses, a difficult, dry, barren place where you feel like you're struggling to survive, it could be that the Holy Spirit has led you there to mold you and to shape you, to strengthen you and to prepare you for some future ministry. This was certainly the case for Jesus, who was tempted uh, immediately before he began his public ministry. If God is working through you by the power of the Holy Spirit, then expect your life to be formed by a certain amount of testing. And it's worth noting that the Hebrew word for testing is the same word for temptation. And that testing will often come at the most crucial moments of your life and ministry. It's not God who tests us, but God allows us to be tested because he can strengthen us through it. Uh, verse two makes it clear that Jesus was tempted by the devil, not a little red man with horns and a pitchfork, but a real personal agent of evil nonetheless. The devil didn't want Jesus to succeed, and so he tries to trip him up before he even begins his public ministry. If you're going through a time of testing, a time of great temptation, then it's worth asking the question, what is the devil trying to prevent me from doing? So temptation one, Jesus was tempted to turn stones into bread. Verse three, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, turn this stone into bread. The first thing that the devil does is tries to cast doubt over Jesus's identity. If you are the son of God, in other words, you might not be the son of God. You sure you're the son of God? But have we already seen? Uh, God uh, had said to Jesus, you're my son whom I love with you. I'm well pleased. Jesus described the devil as a liar and the father of lies. We see this as early as Genesis 3, when the devil tempts uh, Adam and Eve. He basically says, God doesn't really care about you. God uh, hasn't got your best interests at heart. He just wants to control you. Something doesn't need to be true to be devastating. It just needs to be believed. 
The devil is a liar and he will lie to you, especially about your identity. Who you think you are will determine the decisions you make and the way that you live your life. If you think you're a victim, you'll live as a victim. Uh, you, you, you'll see every situation as a, as a situation where you are being wronged. Uh, of course, some people are horribly abused, mistreated and victimized. At some point, all of us will be the victim of somebody else's sin. If that's you at the moment, it's not your fault. Uh, you are being sinned against. Uh, I'm just saying that generally we shouldn't have a victim mentality. Uh, if you believe that you're without sin, well, I'm basically a, a pretty good person, then you'll live like a Pharisee uh, with a holier-than-thou attitude, looking down your nose at other people. Uh, you live like a religious hypocrite. If you believe that you can't change, that you can't resist temptation, then you'll have the breaking strain of a wet Kit Kat and you'll succumb to temptation whenever and wherever it assails you. The devil wants you to doubt your identity. Are you really a Christian? Are you sure you're forgiven? Why aren't you changing? Why is your life in such a mess? If God loved you, wouldn't he change your circumstances? And in, in Jesus's case, God can't want his beloved son to be famished with hunger, can he? These are the kind of lies that the devil throws at us and they're designed to distract us from the truth. The truth is this. If you have given your life to Jesus, you are forgiven and adopted into God's family. You are sons and daughters of the living God. You are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That which belongs to Christ belongs to you. And you have the Holy Spirit living within you, giving you the power to change into God's likeness with ever increasing glory. So the devil cast a doubt over Jesus' identity and then tempted him to turn stones into bread. But where's the temptation in that? I mean, why shouldn't Jesus turn stones into bread? Why shouldn't he satisfy his hunger? Well, firstly, because it's Satan that's telling him to do it. Uh, Jesus was led out into the desert by the Holy Spirit to undergo a period of fasting. And here's the devil telling him to turn stones into bread. Uh, secondly, because Jesus came to serve others and not himself. Whenever Jesus performed a miracle, it was for the well-being, the healing, the restoration and, and the building up in faith of other people. But it's interesting that the devil tempts Jesus in the first instance with a physical desire, something that in itself isn't wrong. It's not wrong to eat. It's not wrong to desire sustenance. And many of our temptations are, are, are around bodily appetites and pleasures, uh, good gifts from God that the devil wants us to misuse. There's nothing wrong with enjoying a meal. There's nothing wrong with enjoying your food. The devil would have us be gluttons. There's nothing wrong with sleep, rest and recreation. The devil would have us be lazy and or permanently distracted. There's nothing wrong with sexual intimacy. The devil would have us take it, of, take it out of its proper context, a lifelong, committed, monogamous marriage. There's nothing wrong with a hungry person wanting bread. 
But going back to the Israelites in the desert, the point is they refused to trust God for their physical nourishment and they complained bitterly against God. If Jesus had turned those stones into bread, it would have demonstrated a lack of trust in God for his physical needs and a desire to grasp at God's power in a self-serving way. And so Jesus replied, man shall not live on bread alone. Physical needs are important, but not as important as our loyalty to God. Temptation two, the devil offers Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. The devil is here offering Jesus something that has already been promised to him. I mean, didn't the angel Gabriel say to Mary that her son would rule over an everlasting kingdom? What the devil is offering is a shortcut, a a, a crown without a cross and a kingdom without a tomb. In one sense, it must have sounded quite reasonable because this is exactly what the Jews expected of their Messiah, to take his kingdom by force. This was the mold that people were continually trying to press Jesus into. But as we saw on Christmas Day, this was the expectation that the Messiah would come and destroy Israel's enemies and take hold of his kingdom. That was the expectation because human beings have misunderstood power. Jesus didn't come to claim his kingdom by force and compel our allegiance. Jesus came to die for us so that we might enter his kingdom free from every spot and blemish, forgiven and made whole taking all the kingdoms of the earth in one easy stride was a temptation that would have come with a massive price tag. It meant rejecting God's plan and worshipping the devil. Israel was commanded to worship God alone but turned to idolatry. Jesus refused to put the devil or anything else in God's place. He refused to take a shortcut and we must do the same. So often we want everything that God has in store for us right now, going through the struggles and the trials and the discipline of the Christian life in order to store up treasures in heaven. Well, that just seems too hard. And so the temptation is to focus exclusively on earthly treasures. God has promised us all the riches of his kingdom. But often we try and grasp at them now. We want it all uh, in this instant. And we find ourselves worshipping the false god of materialism. When Jesus was tempted by the devil's shortcut, he responded, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Temptation number three, jump from the temple and see if God saves you. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. The devil is basically saying, If you are really Israel's Messiah, prove it with a dramatic display of power. And notice that the devil quotes scripture. Uh, He quotes from verse 91. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you, you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will at times hear scripture taken out of context and twisted to suit the agenda of those 
who would destroy your faith. The best antidote is to know your Bible and to have studied it because no verse or passage should ever read, be read in isolation. We, we test scripture with, with scripture and uh, we, we look at the Bible as a complete message, not just taking individual bits and focusing exclusively on them. And Jesus knew this. And so for a third time, Jesus replies with scripture. It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Israel doubted God's power to put him, uh, sorry, Israel doubted God's power and uh, they put him to the test at Massa and Meribah. That's when Moses struck the rock and water came out. And on that occasion, the people were basically saying, is God with us or not? Can God provide us with water or not? If he can, let him prove it. And so Deuteronomy uh, refers back to this incident and it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus was tempted. He was tempted to feed himself through supernatural means. He was tempted to take control of the world in one fell swoop. He was tempted to test God and, and get stronger evidence for his messiahship. And likely he was tested in lots of other ways too, because he spent 40 days being tested. Jesus understands our temptation. If we're going through temptation, you know, we say, oh, God doesn't understand. You know, this is so hard. It's impossible to resist. Jesus understands because he's experienced it. And make no mistake, temptation comes to all of us on a daily basis. Moreover, that temptation, that opposition will often be strongest at the times when we're being most effective or when we're about to be most effective or when we could be most effective in terms of building Christ's kingdom. Jesus was tempted when he was alone in the desert, tired and hungry. And for us, temptation looms large when we're in a more vulnerable state, when we're tired or isolated or when uh, we're in some kind of emotional turmoil. The devil will kick us when we're down. We need to be aware of that. So when it's happening, we say, okay, I know what's happening here. I'm in a vulnerable state and the devil is trying to get to me. The problem with temptation is that it's tempting. It promises pleasure, gratification, an easy solution, a shortcut, an easier or more comfortable life or whatever it is. And we tend to focus on the perceived benefits. And if we're aware of any potential negative consequences, we kind of push those to the back of our minds. A Puritan preacher from the 1600s by the name of Thomas Brooks made a brilliant analogy. He said that temptation is basically like bait on a hook. Satan will come to you as he came to Jesus and he will bait his hook with whatever it is that you find most alluring. Uh, money, power, sex, drugs, food, comfort, whatever it is. He'll use any bait that will get you to bite so he can reel you in towards death. The devil wants to separate you from God and destroy your life. And ultimately, he wants to kill you. Sin leads to death, death in every sense of the word. And even for Christians, that bait, that temptation that looks so enticing will always have a negative impact on your life. It will always hinder, mar, spoil, corrupt, disrupt and cause pain. Because even though you might be let off the hook in the end, after all, we know that uh that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's no fun being dragged along with a hook in your mouth. 
And the reason that people keep on sinning is oftentimes because they see the bait, but they fail to notice the hook. Fish aren't the most intelligent creatures in the world, but if they see the hook, they won't take the bait. We can all do ourselves a massive favour by focusing on the hook and not on the bait. I mean, if Satan came to us and said, I'd like you to try addiction or broken relationships, poverty, prison, guilt, obesity, misery, bitterness and despair, we wouldn't say, oh, okay, that sounds good. If Satan came to you and said, I want you to ruin your life and the life of your family, you wouldn't say, okay, well, let's give that a go. Satan doesn't show us the hook. He only shows us the bait. If you want to resist temptation, focus on the hook. All of a sudden, the bait won't seem nearly so tempting. Jesus was tempted, but like Adam, he, but unlike Adam, I should say, he resisted. Unlike Israel, he remained faithful to his father in heaven. Unlike us, he's perfect. And we're called to fight against temptation, fight against the sin in our lives. And at the heart of our resistance, in the words of N.T. Wright, is our love and loyalty to God, who has already called us his beloved children in Christ. And so let us fight for the glory of God, the good of our lives, and the benefit of those who love us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognise that temptation is very real. We face it every day. Uh, but we know that your word says that whenever we are tempted, there's always a, a way out. There's always an escape hatch that you provide. We pray, Lord, that we'll stand against the temptation, we'll stand against the devil's tactics, and that we will continue to work with you towards our sanctification, towards our becoming more like you. Help us to stand firm, to resist, and to be the people you called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.